Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Have you been looking for old episodes of Smodcast or Jay and Silent Bob Get Old or classics like Plus One or Fat Man on Batman? Well, join the fucking club, man. When I say that, I mean that Kevin Smith Club. That's right. For 420, we are celebrating by kicking open the doors of our beta version of that Kevin Smith Club, the exclusive home of the Smodcast Audio Archive and that Kevin Smith Stonian Screening Room, man. This is the place where you can go to listen to oodles of audio, both old and new and commercial free. Want to watch cartoons, movies, and live shows, some of which have never been seen before? That Kevin Smith Club is the place to be. You could be a clerk. You could be a mall rat. You could be a fun employee, or you could be a yoga hoser. But you'll have access to lots and lots of stuff that I've been saying since February 2007. I've been making podcasts, man. We used to store the library behind the Stitcher walls. Now, we got our own thing. That Kevin Smith Club. This is where you can come and listen to the old stuff, hear all the brand new stuff, including brand new shows like Wake and Bake with me and Plus One 2020 and Silent Bob Speaks, as well as all your old favorites. Podcast, Jane, Silent Bob, Get Old, Talk Salad and Scrambled Eggs, Highlands, A Peephole History, Smoothie Makers, Interview, and so much more, man. This is what you've been looking for. I've been getting lots of tweets since the quarantine kicked up and going, hey, where's all the old episodes of this? Blah, blah, blah. Used to be on Stitcher. What happened? Now, it's at That Kevin Smith Club. Have you ever wanted to club That Kevin Smith? Well, now is your chance. Go to ThatKevinSmithClub.com and get in the audio orgy right now, kids. That Kevin Smith Club. It's time to babble the fuck on. It's Hollywood Babylon. With your hosts, Kevin Smith and Ralph Garvin. You got crowd noise? Oh, yeah. I'm loaded up. Oh, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like there's a fucking crowd here and shit instead of being right. alone in my room. That was dope, man. You fooled me with your audio tricks. Um, oh, Wait, fuck. Let's do this the right way. It is Sunday night in Hollywood. So let's babble the fuck on, man. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Ralph Garman. Hey! hey. Um, first, before we dive into the fun, holy fuck. Moments like that. I feel like uh, I was trying before the show began for those listening as opposed to watching. Uh, I was desperately trying to get into uh, Ralph's Crowdcast. And uh, through a series of fucking stupid errors and shit, I was in Safari and not able to get into Chrome, but I, I got that was the problem. It was me. Um, but hey, it all worked out. And here we are, man. Here we the are. adventure begins. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you holding up in, uh, in year That's three of our, uh, <laughs> our lockdown? Uh, it's about to get much better. I saw somebody, uh, we're doing this uh, live streaming through, Ralph uh, has a Crowdcast account that he uses for the Ralph Report, uh, which you can listen to all the time, uh, weekly. Uh, but uh, daily, so Daily, sir. Daily, my bad, sorry. Maybe do your own fucking ads. Uh, in any event, um, <laughs> uh, we're doing, uh, if you're listening to the podcast version, we're doing this through uh, Crowdcast. So people... Uh, although we can't hear an audience, we could see them uh, uh, commenting the whole time. And somebody made an excellent comment. They said, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm all upset and intense. Uh, and they were like, smoke a joint, Kevin. And I was like, that's why that's wizened advice. I said, I wish I knew who wrote that. But fuck, yeah. Makes all things better, sir. Yes. 
456 people, somebody just pointed out here at the virtual Hollywood Improv. That's more than we uh, can put into the real Hollywood Improv, man. Seats tops 200, so we're yeah. ready. And also, that's just here in Crowdcast. Meanwhile, Will Wilkins, uh, NetHeads Will, if you don't listen to NetHeads, give it a listen. Uh, Will is uh, simulcasting this as we do it live on uh, my YouTube and on my Facebook as well. So we got a bunch of people uh, watching us. It's not just those in the room. There are a bunch of people cucking it out from outside the room right now. So let's make sure we give them a, a decent show. Hopefully you've uh, gathered some fucking news to talk about. We've got a week's worth of stuff to talk about for sure, yeah. Um, nice. Before we get into that, though, how are you holding up? I know uh, for both you and myself, it's not all that different than our real lives because we tend to work from home and spend a lot of time in the uh, holdup in our uh, fortresses of solitude as it was. But are you starting to get a little chat fast? I'm getting a little cranky. I, I'd like to, I'd like this to be over. No? no, still no, man. Like, honestly, there are days I go exercise every day by like taking a walk. And that's the only time I leave the house. It's I've I've used my car so fucking rarely. Um, but I'm just using it to be productive. Like, I mean, aside from today was like, uh, we're, I'm, my, this caps off my day, which began with uh, me doing like two other fucking live streams and stuff like that. So I got a lot of stuff done today. But also when I'm not streaming and trying to like keep spirits up, I'm writing like a madman. So I finished, as I talked about last time, or maybe I didn't, I finished Twilight of the Mallrats, the yeah. sequel to the Mallrats script. And so while I was waiting for feedback and stuff so I could go and start doing notes, I dove back into uh, Moose Jaws for the first time in, I guess, four years or something. So I'm currently doing a new draft of that. So I don't mind, like, you know, the world being closed. I read something today where our governor is talking about moving to stage two, which is like slow openings, places with spaces, restaurants spaced out with new regulations and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm glad we're going back to the real world slowly but surely. But this hasn't bugged me one bit, man. I've, I've found it very productive for me. Well, uh, I think everyone else is <coughs> a little distraction, and hopefully we can provide that for them here tonight for a little bit. Uh, we got some news to talk about. Then I thought since we're on Crowdcast, maybe if folks have questions, we can pull some people up on the screen and they can ask their questions live if we got some time. Can I have a second bite at that apple? It was such a fucking serious answer i forgot that we were doing a comedy show where i'm like i'm fine <laughs> don't worry I'm, about me I'm working hard don't cry for me argentina everything's fine here um yes and, and i fully recognize this different elsewhere and stuff but i have been surprised uh by you know if you told me hey man you're going into quarantine and stuff uh, I, I i think at the beginning i was like i'm gonna have so much sex we haven't had a fuck ton of quarantine sex and not for like lack of of time that's for sure we got nothing but fucking time um but I just I, we had sex last night for like the first time in a week and i'm like why aren't we doing that like every day and she's like because you're fucking writing scripts and i was like i'm gonna stop that <laughs> i'm gonna stop that coming here and never mind slipping into a screenplay i'm gonna slip into another human being um but i realized that i'm talking about a sex life during the pandemic to a man who has absolutely none am i correct <laughs> yeah thanks so much though it's uh it's charming of you to bring that up you know i've been i've been on lockdown with uh carrie my uh, soon-to-be ex-wife and uh, mother of my child so the family unit is tight 
but uh, yeah, socially, I am I am sequestered. I would imagine the scrotum is even tighter at this point, man. You're well, looking forward. You're you're going to be like a sailor, like on on you know fucking VJ day, like when they let you out, man. You're going to be like wow, uh, kissing nurses in the street and shit like that. They're going to be like, Mister Garmin, wear a mask. I'm just I'm just becoming very familiar with myself these days. That's all. Just having my share of myself. <clears throat> I haven't even been jerking off that much. I mean, I'm I'm doing the masturbatory thing of writing fucking scripts that entertain only me. So I guess that's close to jerking off. But yeah. like, I haven't even been like pounding one out on the on the daily, man. Mostly, I've I've been focusing on on controlling my appetite and getting disciplined again. I did a, I was trying to do a 72 hour fast last week. I wound I up doing that. That's a 90 hour fast. It's not. It's crazy. I watched a video online and some people are like, yeah, you watch a video. You're a fucking dick. You deserve what happens to you. And I'm like, all right, all right. Remember, I did have a heart attack a couple of years ago. <laughs> so I looked into I've been intermittent fasting ever since the heart attack. And that's how I lost weight and control the weight. It's uh, I eat one meal a day and I've been very candid about this. And I wait until deep into the day as I can get. And then uh, at when then I eat and then I don't eat for a while after that. So. I, I started looking up more info about it. And, you know, I remember it, it sparked with uh, JC who owns the Scum and Villainy Cantina. He had ref referenced it like a couple weeks ago. He's like, I did a six day fast once. And I was like, that's fucking possible. And he's like, yeah, it was, it was great. I felt fantastic. And blah, blah, blah. So I started looking into longer fast because I was already on a kind of 18 slash six hour, meaning like, I didn't eat for 18 hours and my feeding window, as they call it, was six hours because I would eat between two and eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. So now I wanted to see like how what I could do with that, as they call it, feeding window and stuff. Um, and I was like, let me see if I could stretch it to I knew I could fast for like a day easily. And I knew in the past I had fasted for like two days and not by sole intention. Sometimes you just get busy on a movie set and you forget to eat and you're like, oh, crap, I you know, whatever the day is done. And then I stopped eating at night, so I didn't put in any more. But like the 72-hour fast, I watched this fascinating video about what happens to your body and all the positives. Because naturally, like half the people on the internet was like, if you don't eat, your body's going to eat your muscles and your muscles fucking eat furs. And, and that's patently unfucking true and stuff. Like it, Joe Rogan has had on a number of uh, doctors, particularly this one really entertaining guy that talks about intermittent fasting. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Um, it's for, you know, when, when historically, evolutionarily speaking, we don't need to eat three meals a day. So right. I was like, let me see if I could get to the 72 hours, because one of the benefits was if you get to 72 hours of intermittent fasting, of just fasting, just water, that's all I was taking, um, stem cells get released. And we never get any stem cells action at our age. We're old men and shit. So the ability in any age to like fucking release stem cells, like that's good. For a human body, it'll probably go to where it's needed the most. And in my case, likely that's my heart. So I was like, let me see if I can do it. And also a sense of self-discipline. It was coming after the weekend of my 21st wedding anniversary with Jennifer. So we were just pounding vegan ice cream and cake and shit. So I was like, this will be a good cleansing. And you're not supposed to do it more than like once a month. But when I finished the 72 hours, it was easy. Once you get past the 24 hours, hunger pangs go away and you're not like, oh, I want to eat and shit. You get mental crispness and clarity. It's fucking nuts, man. Proteins that in your body are weighed and mired in sugars and stuff suddenly become freed and kind of rejuvenate. Like the health benefits are fucking staggering and stuff. So at hour 72, when my fast was done, I could have eaten, but it was eight o'clock at night and I don't normally eat past eight o'clock. But 
in this case, I could have, but I was like, well, shit, if I just wait till the morning, I can tack on another couple hours and shit because I'm going to sleep anyway and stuff. So I went to sleep instead. And then I wound up like, by the time I broke my fast, it was fully 90 hours, man. And like the benefits, I can't, I can't say enough about some people tell me online, they're like, you're irresponsible to talk about this. I'm not telling anybody to do it. I'm just saying that I've done it and I've only done it because I've seen smart people do it and talk about it. And I'm like, all right, let me see if I could do it. And then it becomes a matter of, of discipline if one could pull it off. So I've spent some of my time doing that. And that's probably part of the reason why I didn't want to fuck that much because Jennifer, to me, other than being like my good lady wife and whatnot, I, two things I associate with her, obviously sex and eating and watching TV. So I knew during my fast, if I went near Jennifer, we would fuck and then we would eat and watch TV and my fast would be broken. So I stood, I was kind of, I mean, I saw her all the time. We're in the same house, but I was mostly down in my office so much so that like when I finally broke my fast, I was like, Hey man, I'm like, sorry, I haven't seen you that much in the last three days. She goes, you just fucking noticed now. And I was like, well, I associate you with food. And she was like, that's fucking sick. And I'm like, why? Whatever. So I, you know, that was my story. So much for your mental clarity. <laughs> yeah, it all went away. <laughs> well, sir, uh, I saw that video that you talked about and I watched it and it was fascinating when he was saying about the growth hormones being released and all that kind of other stuff. And I've been doing it periodically myself, but never for that stretch. So maybe you, yeah, I mean, you, I remember like I came back from the tour and like I had, put on some weight, like 10 to 15 pounds that I didn't want or anything like that. That came from not like, you know, I, like I, it just came from going from one meal a day, which is what I did at home to like, you know, oh, we're driving for five hours. Well, let's get something to eat. And then, oh, we're at the gig. Uh, let's get something to eat. And it's all vegan, but like, doesn't matter if you're eating tons of vegan, you're going to gain some weight and stuff and sugar's vegan. So I was eating things with sugar and a lot of comfort eating. So by the time I got home, I was like 15 pounds heavier. And when I saw you in person, I was like, fuck. I was like, I want to get divorced because you looked amazing. <laughs> that grief, the grief took it right off you and shit. And so I was like, and then I talked to you and you mentioned intermittent fasting. And I'm like, fuck, I was an intermittent faster. And now I fucking stopped and look how good Ralph looks and shit. So you were in the back of my mind when I was heading back to it. I was like, I got to look as good as Ralph because you do. You look fantastic, man. And if it has anything to do with intermittent fasting, then you could back me up. Do you feel anything adverse to skipping a day of eating? No. It, as you mentioned, it's more in tune with how the human body has been programmed over eons of evolution than any other kind of eating. Because, you know, the caveman would get up in the morning and go on the hunt. He wouldn't have a hearty breakfast first. He'd go out there and just start working and then... Whatever he caught by the end of the day, he brought it back to his cave and then he feasted. So if that pattern is much more conducive to how the body is supposed to work than any other way. From I'll what tell I tell you, man, breakfast is a lot of hype. It's propaganda created by Kellogg's and shit where they're like, you got to have a breakfast. You really, really don't like you just don't. There'll, there'll be a time where you get a hunger pang probably around eight or eight thirty. There's a name for it. Like uh, it happens to all human beings. But um you if you it's 10 minutes later like 10 minutes later if you preoccupy yourself you won't notice you won't get another hang, hung, hunger pang for a bit again i'm not saying everybody do this but if you're interested because i saw a lot of people uh after i posted pictures and talked about it were like hey man well tell me more um and i refer them of course to people who really know their shit but like from my experience from ralph's experience 
Uh, it's not the end of the world. It's fairly funny. Somebody wrote on the side, Hollywood Weight Watchers. So we'll stop talking about it. <laughs> We're a couple of middle-aged men and we found something that works for us. And, and it's about longevity, you fuckers. We would like to stay around long. So yeah, man. All right. Let's talk about dead people now instead. How about that? That'll cheer Yeah, up. people people that didn't practice intermittent fasting is what right? I'm guessing, Ralph. <laughs> They're eating lots of breakfast, I'm guessing. It's yeah. time for folks who left us way too soon but left behind bodies of work that we'll enjoy for many years to come. It's a segment we know here as Tinseltown Sticks. And now another edition of Tinseltown Sticks. They will be missed. Yeah. This was a tough one. Sam Lloyd, brilliant character actor, best known for his work as Ted on Scrubs, has passed away at the age of 56, way too young. I saw that online. I was not a big Scrubs watcher, but I recognized him from other things. You missed out. You might want to go revisit, especially his work in that show. He was so funny as uh, Ted Bucklin, the lawyer on that show. And um, I always liked him in anything. He had a great resume. I mean, he was on... West Wing and Modern Family and in the movie Galaxy Quest and a ton, ton of other. Uh, That's what I knew him from, like Galaxy Quest, if I remember correctly. I looked at his list because I, I didn't watch Scrubs um, and not because I'm like, fuck Scrubs. I just never got around to watching it. Uh, but I when I saw them and then there was an outpouring, huge outpouring of affection for him uh, on Twitter and stuff. And I was like, wait, I'm, I know that face. What do I know him from? And there were a bunch of things I knew him from, but just not Scrubs. But. You're giving me uh, your kick, a kick in the pants. Maybe try Scrubs. How many seasons they got? Oh, a ton. Uh, say eight, maybe. Jesus. All right, I ain't doing that. That's way too much. <laughs> well, what I'm watching right now, and I keep talking to anybody who'll listen, is Shit's Creek with Eugene Levy. Are you watching that? What are you fucking my wife on the side? Is that why she's not having sex with me? She, I just heard her giggling earlier today, and I was like, "What are you laughing at?" And she's like, "Shit's Creek." And we watched the first episode of Shit's Creek, like when it first popped on. And, you know, I was like, what do you think? Because I love fucking uh, Eugene Levy Catherine and I love Catherine O'Hara. And, you know, after we were done, I was like, what'd you think? She's like, it's all right. And then we never went back to it because she didn't show much enthusiasm. Same way. Like, I remember one day I was watching like this third episode of the American version of The Office here in my office, ironically, in this room. And I was laughing and she came in. She's like, what are you watching? I was like the American office and she watched like 12 seconds and she was like, ugh, sucks and walked away. I have never finished watching the office. There's a bunch of seasons I missed and stuff. My wife, my kid would fucking throw me out a car to see one more new episode of the office. They became such religious fans of it. And I always reminded my wife, like you fucking mocked me for watching the fucking office. And now you're still fucking watching it. Shit. Same thing with Shit's Creek is happening right now. Same way she was just like, it's all right. Now she's just like, oh my God, this fucking show is amazing. And I'm like, I I, I was there first. Well, she's right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not great. It's good in the first season, but then it really finds its groove. And seasons two and three that I'm into now are just unbelievable i'm just do you have to watch season one to enjoy seasons two and three you got it it's not a slog i mean it's it's enjoyable but it really starts to pay off in season two and three and then now i'm hooked i can't wait to finish it the show built a audience man a true following and stuff like that like because they were on what what channel were they on it was like a very little scene they were on pop but they came out of canada on cbc initially i think and 
then was it a Canadian show? Yeah. That's why they got away with Shit's Creek, probably. Probably. Um, I've been watching those kids uh, since I was a kid, man. Like uh, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara on SCTV. Both a couple of geniuses, man. He's uh, he's working with his son, which I thought was so adorable. I'm like, how awesome from that! And that guy got famous, man. Over and the course of that show, like Dan Levy's become huge. He is brilliant on this thing, and you're right. He co-created it with his dad, and some of his moments, especially in the late, in the you know the middle to later seasons, are just insanely great comic timing, and he, the, it's just a blast. I think you really give like you an in, can I give you an inside baseball story? That's what we're here for. So, Babylon. Yeah, that's the case, isn't it? So um, at one point, uh, Reese's Canada, not Reese's America, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups Canada was going to do a campaign. Um, and it came down to two parties of candidates. One was me and Jay. And the other was Eugene Levy and Dan Levy. And having not watched um, uh, seasons of uh, Shit's Creek, like my hubris was like, oh, well, we'll get it. Cause like us. Yeah. I mean, like we've been around for a while and stuff. I mean, I know Eugene Levy, but like, I mean, does anybody know like who's Dan? Like, this is, we got this in the bag. We didn't get that job, um, is what I'm getting at. But uh, I think it might have had something to do with, like, I had a heart attack, and then I couldn't advertise for candy. Uh, but I don't know if they wound up doing it. Anybody in Canada ever see a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup with Dan and Eugene Levy, man? Um, it's so funny, though, when I think back to be like, we got that job in the bag. We're more famous than them. And meanwhile, Shit's Creek has a fucking legion of fans, so much so that they finally touched your fucking poison black heart. You never try anything new. And, and and the other cold-hearted steel woman in my life, Jennifer, both of you have finally succumbed to the charms of Shit's Creek. It did take a global pandemic to force me into one. <laughs> it was a perfect storm. Also passed away this week, co-screenwriter of the legendary horror classic Child's Play, John Lafia, passed away at the age of 63. He uh, co wait. Was was uh, uh, the gentleman from Scrubs? What was his death? For, it wasn't COVID related, was it? No, it was. It was it's so sad. It's hard to even talk about. He had fifty six end of last year, weeks after the birth of his first child. He was diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer, which eventually spread to his lungs, liver, spine, and jaw. So, oh my was, god, oh my god, man, like. Oh, I mean, it's not even, oh, my God. It's like, where is God in that? Like, that's horrible. It, it's And at 56, right after the birth of his first child, it's just such a horrible, horrible story. And as you mentioned, outpouring of love from everybody in showbiz, everybody who worked with him just loved him. He was a talented musician as well, was in several bands. And, uh, you know, Zach Braff and uh, Bill Lawrence, the creator of Scrubs, just so many people came forward to talk about beyond his talent, what an enormously kind person he was. Huge bucket of wind, man. Indeed. And as I mentioned, John Lafia, the uh, co-screenwriter and creator of Child's Play, as well as the writer and director of Child's Play 2, he has passed away at the age of 63 years old. Uh, Don Mancini, who he co-wrote that film with, came out and gave a very nice tribute to the man. And he contributed the line in the first screenplay that most people remember. Hi, I'm Chucky. Do you want to play? That was his. And so um, where that we he wrote that line. Yeah, uh, just in. 
as we're moving forward, of course, we've got a bunch of people who are sending us comments. They said that he was positive. Uh, what's his name? The Scrubs gentleman? Oh, uh, uh, Sam Lloyd. He was posting positivity, positivity until the very end. Great wow. guy. I'd heard that. He was online still like posting positivity and stuff. Um, that's, that's, I, people like that are, I can't, I don't get it. I can't even wrap my head around it because I'm bitter and things are good. So <laughs> you're like, I'm unafflicted and I would never help. <laughs> How would I behave if things were really hit the, hit the fan? I have no idea. So, yeah. Um, all right. So wait, the second gentleman, the child's play guy. Yeah. John Locke. What did he pass away from? Um, 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 um does not say here so not but well, it's not covid related no it's not to the best of my knowledge um bummer man uh always sucks to lose people in our business of show indeed is that it for the it body cat isn't that enough for you grim reaper you're right you're right i don't i don't want that to be construed with uh me looking for higher numbers i'm just uh relieved yes that it's only that it's only two so uh, wow do you think uh, one day um, one of us, Ralph, will have to choke through uh, an, a Hollywood Babylon, you know, uh, Tinseltown stiff update where the ha they, we have to describe the other? We'll, we'll have to eulogize the other guy in Tinseltown stiffs? Yes. And would it just be like uh, one section of Tinseltown stiffs or probably the whole episode more than likely? But if we were to eulogize uh, one another um, as a Tinseltown stiff, if you had to eulogize me, because it goes without saying that I'd be balling and shit. Do you think you could get through it? Do you think you could uh, be a pro? Like you got 200 people at the improv mm -hmm. uh, and they're all like fucking, you know, they come, they, yes, I died, but they're all come for a fucking show and they're drinking. So if you don't make them laugh, there might be some shit. Like you might get a heckler who's like, I know your buddy died, but fucking man up and make a joke, you little puss or whatever. So can you can you get through it or do you break down emotionally? Is it like listening to that Beauty and the Beast song, which reduces you to a fucking puddle of tears? <laughs> uh, first of all, if it's the first Babylon after you pass, I can probably book a bigger room than the improv. I'm thinking a, a lot of people want to be at that show. So I can really, I, mean, this is, I, can, I, don't, I, don't, I can cash in on that show. That's true. Good point, man. Go for a stadium. If we're ever allowed back in them after this fucking event. <laughs> and no, I wouldn't be able to just talk about you and get through it. That's insane. That would be, that would be ridiculous. I would, I would, uh, I would probably not be able to get on stage for a long time after that. Uh, I could, I couldn't do Babylon without you. So I don't even know what form that would take, but if it was Babylon, I promise I would give you a nice tight four or five minutes tribute. And then I'd just move on into Liam Neeson cock jokes. You better believe it, that I'd be out on the road with fucking the Babylon rest in peace, Ralph and <laughs> <in> peace tour. <laughs> with I was behind you of me. I put your jacket over the back of the chair. People would go fucking nuts. I'd walk out, I'd hold it up. They'd be like, "Garmy, Garmy." I just put it over the back of the chair, and then for the next like hour, an hour and a half, I tell them Ralph stories. I'm like, "Did you guys know he was a motherfucking swinger?" Uh, let me tell you about Ralph Garmin. And then I do some of the departments. You know, uh, we definitely fucking end with Liam Neeson's cock. 
Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's like 30 minutes of Tinseltown stiffs, and I'm just talking about you. I don't care who passes away that week. It could be Oprah Winfrey or Tom Hanks. They're not getting touched because every stop on the tour is a funeral for you, and I get to do the eulogy, man. Yeah, I'm making money off your death. You better believe it. I didn't even think about touring. That's my, That's a great idea. I should have done that. I mean, a sinister person would take out life insurance on you, like in a fucking 40s movie. But uh, I'm just going to tell you up front, I will ride your corpse for another few bucks, man. That's for damn sure. And I suggest, I heartily uh, suggest you do the same. Just you just got to kick idea. back a little bit to my kid, probably. You got to let her wet her beak a little. But, you know, with merchandise, because that's the sweetest plug. Just a white baseball cap with a, with a pin spotlight on it at the center of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> there you got it kids you've heard it right here uh each of us will make money off the other in death <laughs> and the other wouldn't happen any other way i don't think i i want it that's what i want from my boy what do we otherwise what we put in all this time for for heaven's sakes same all right let's get to some other news shall we in a segment we call the hbo headlines well done sir thank you well the movie business has changed i hope you're ready changed for some of us a long time ago particularly well, for the director of yoga hosers it real fucking changed <laughs> picking on that movie That's great cast kevin smith film great it better be motherfucker uh great cast just you know i just watched it fairly recently because as previously mentioned i'm doing a new draft of Moose Jaw. So I was like, let me get the scent back. Let me dive back into my Canadian weirdness. And I watched Tusk and Yoga Hosers. And you are fantastic in Yoga Hosers. You like lit up my night. It was two in the morning. And once you came into the movie, I was like, oh shit, I forgot. Like we have all of this now and stuff. Yeah. But as I was watching that movie, I was like, you know, I get the hate. <laughs> it's so, it's so fucked up. And it's so, like, not even just fucked up. Like, Tusk was fucked up. But this is a real, like, it dares the audience to like it. And the audience just responds, like, how dare you, sir? No, we refuse. <laughs> this is too Although, funny, man. I did see someone on Twitter today say they wanted to spit on you because you made Tusk. So, you never, there's no accounting for taste. And let me tell you something. That nobody, none of the four people that ever saw Yoga Hosers have ever threatened me with like a saliva salute. See? Classier group of people, those those Yoga Hosers fans. We're selective, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, the movie business has changed for you, that's granted, but it's changed for everyone else now too, because Universal- Well, welcome to my fucking world, the rest of Hollywood. I'm, you know, I'm used to being way out here waiting for you. I couldn't believe this time I was out of that curve too. Now nobody's going to have their movies played in theaters anymore. <laughs> yeah. Join me in tour world. <laughs> that's that's where smart money is. Universal announced that they made a $100 million with Trolls World Tour directly released to video on demand, premium video on demand, as they're calling it, as they funneled it right into homes for its opening 48 hours. And more importantly, Universal proudly crowed to the dismay of theater owners everywhere that they got to keep an estimated 80% of that revenue as opposed to when it's released in theaters and that the portion is not quite as good for them. So Universal I'm makes a lot I'm of no, I'm, I'm no math genius, but if you make $100 million and you get to keep 80%, they kept $80 million bucks. 
Yes. And the rest so, and on market. What, what do you think trolls cost to make? Oh. Because mind you now, that's that's a good success. I'm not taking it away, but they missed a plum that they'll a sweet plum, the sweetest plum that they don't get to chase again. Um, now they'll never have theatrical ever. They right. spent marketing for theatrical and didn't use it. They pivoted, so they're make, doing their best in a pandemic or whatever. But that money, they probably would have made that money on home video anyway. You know mm. what I'm saying? That's that's those are kids' movie numbers. So I'm glad they've done well, but I don't think that reinvents the business. This is a you know stopgap effort with something that they were like, well shit we've got no income whatsoever but if we put this into the marketplace with skipping theatrical then at least we'll have a little bit of income during this time and stuff but as much as that's a sexy number to be like it made a hundred million like it was probably going to make a hundred million anyway the cost of a movie when you buy it on itunes transactionally or whatever is generally 20 bucks what were they charging for this movie for this big um, debut uh for the opening weekend it was twenty dollars rental for the for the film yeah the only difference here being is it's a rental price whereas like the rental prices are generally you know not as high as an ownership price right but i just i mean like i ain't taking anything away i ain't shitting on it like i'm glad they made money and stuff but if i'm the theaters i'm still not threatened by this and i know that amc and universal had a bit of a fucking pissing match this week over this yeah. over the idea of like hey we're gonna start releasing more movies digitally like this. This is the thing that uh, exhibitors have been terrified of and fighting for a decade or more at this point and stuff, the shrinking home video window. And you can't make up like, you know, if you make if let's say they took the movie out and the movie made 200 million or whatever the fuck, you can't get that again. Now that it's out on home video, that's like gone. And I, also curious what the budget of trolls was anybody write that down in this article because uh, those animated movies are always more than a hundred million dollars yeah and this is a sequel and there's a lot of pricey talent involved too you got justin timberlake and anna kendrick and uh, and others as well but yeah. i think what really teased up the the um theater owners is universal's threat to do this in conjunction with theatrical release as well they're like well why don't we just release it day and date in premium video on demand and also in theaters and just get all the money that way and that's where people took uh, umbrage with them and and theaters particularly will take umbrage because they're like because if you give everyone a choice between going to see it in the theater and going to watch it at home they're gonna irishman that shit they're gonna go home and fucking watch it they're not gonna ever step outside maybe for a marvel movie but like that's it. They're gonna treat them like event films only. They do that already at this point. They fucking True. don't go out unless it's a giant event movie. So uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't see this as a the end of the industry because I don't see trolls as like, well, that was the historic case that fucking broke the mold. It making a hundred million dollars. Believe me, I ain't taking anything away. That's huge and shit. But there's a big. There's a couple numbers missing from this successful equation. One is what did trolls cost to make, uh, and two is what did the last trolls make theatrically or worldwide that made them want to make a second trolls? Because that made them go like trolls two is worth it. They weren't like, Oh, we're making this straight to DVD. They could have done that without Justin Timberlake and stuff and Anna Kendrick. Yeah. So trolls, what did it make theatrically? Then you look at that number and then you realize, all right, split that in half maybe or something like that. That's what they're walking away from. Um, and so that 
80% that they seem to be walking away with home, on home video and stuff is wonderful, but there's still a lot of money behind that. In order for that equation to work, the price of making Trolls 2 has to come down considerably. And then you say goodbye to your talent as well because their representation is going to want them to get paid. That's my guess, man. But still, good on them. It's awesome that they're like, they're, you know, they pivoted where they're like, look, we got something on a shelf. We know kids are home. Let's try it. And they've hit a huge number and stuff like that. If it keeps going, you know, that's that's even better and stuff. I think it does remain to be seen. I mean, that's an opening weekend number that no one could have expected ever on home video because of the situation that we're in. But as it continues to rent, and that's the only place where you can see it, we'll have to see if it has legs, as they say, in the business and see if it keeps making that kind of money or whether that was it. They blew their nut on that on that first weekend, and that's it. Mark Hawk, in your talkback, said Trolls 1 did $350 million box office. So flop that in half because that's what a studio gets back. So 175 million bucks they made off that movie. That's what made them go like, let's do Trolls 2 and stuff. Right. So, you know, it's it, regardless they of what it makes. Million, home, that's almost half of that. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's not like this equation won't work. It's just the movies will have to be cheaper in order to keep doing something like this. Um, but good for Universal, man. I mean, hey, but number one. Thanks to Universal, they gave us money to make Jane Silent Bob reboot. And good for them, man. They're making loot while everybody else is kind of like, what are we going to do? Other studios don't have something to put into the marketplace like that. But now Universal is following suit with uh, the Judd Apatow, um, Pete Davidson movie. The right. King of King of Staten Island, I believe it's called. Island, yeah. So they just announced that last week, and that was going to be a big summer movie. That was going to be like, you know, this summer's big comedy, they were saying. Um, putting that into the marketplace, you know, they actually stand to make more than they did with Trolls, like uh, opening weekend. That's yeah. like offering a brand new movie. Pete is in the news still. Like they're doing Saturday Night Live, you know, uh, uh, semi-weekly at this point. So it's not like, He's lost, uh, people have lost interest in him, or if he's fallen off the map. Uh, everybody's home. Everybody wants to be entertained. They're looking to laugh and shit like that. Judd Apatow, an incredibly dependable brand. Like, I guarantee you that that, that is going to break records right there. That's the one that might change the industry because if they're like, Holy shit, did you just see what happened with the comedy? Because we can make comedies really inexpensively. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one that might change everything. That's where the schism might get wide. Gotcha. Uh, and that's, mind you, coming from a man whose box office is, doesn't look like, you know, it's, I, I fucking, I don't know shit based on my box office. Take it with a grain of salt. My opinion is as valid as yours. Per screen averages, though. You're the king. We have some we have some goofy records that we hold, but uh, right. that does not a box office analysis uh, make me. So take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, television's also dying as well because Fox just announced their latest competition reality show. I don't know if you saw this or not. It's called Labor of Love. It mixes The Bachelorette with knocking someone up, basically. <clears throat> and it stars a 41-year-old woman who has everything, according to Fox. A career, she's smart, she's but she doesn't have the one thing she wants the most, and that's to have a child. So she is going to meet 15 lucky bachelors 
and choose one of them to impregnate her by the end of the show. And it is called Labor of Love, coming to Fox on May 21st. So later. Well, well, we're we're already living the last days, Ralph. We're in Babylon, clearly, and everything is just falling apart. So why wouldn't you do a show that's predicated on, like, knock me up? Why don't they just call it that? What is it being called? Labor of Love? Labor of Love, yes. So Uh, will they be testing these contestants' sperm to make sure that they can even, that they can even, you know, father a child? Are they going to check her eggs out to see if she's okay? That's a big part of it. And are they going to follow them for a year? Are we going to see she's picking a guy or what's our update to come back with a kid? Well, ideally she's going to find a man that she wants to start a family with and they will stay a couple, but it never seems to work out that way on these shows. So I can't imagine that necessarily will be part of the agreement. And that's what bothers me is that I don't care if the people on The Bachelor Bachelorette are ruin their lives. It's entertaining to me. But when you're adding the third element of bringing a child into the world and then ruining their life too, that's when I start to have a problem. What network is this? Fox, of course, Fox. (laughs) Fox presents Kid Killers. That's right. The show that's going to haunt your childhood and ruin your adulthood. (laughs) They should have like the masked singer combined with Labor of Love and just have her get knocked up by a guy in a mask that she never knows. And she's like, my dad was a zebra. (laughs) My mom was a giant phone. (laughs) When she's 21, they take the zebra head off and you can see who your father was. Um, Man, oh man. That's, uh, you know, could you imagine going back in time and and telling like Ed Sullivan, you know what they do on TV one day? (laughs) Sperm. Lots of it. (laughs) The plot of a show is whose sperm is going to be I like that. I like that a lot. Let's do that. Right here on our really big shoe, we're going to have (laughs) someone get knocked up. Let's do it. Um, I would call that a really big shoot, if you will. Uh, Yes. Of course. Um, You answered somebody's there's a guy, I think his name is Mike Hunt. Um, hey, that's funny when I say it out loud. Um, that uh, he was like, Ralph, do an impression. In a, in a way that like, you know, somebody getting dragged out of the bar because they're getting mouthy about how chit-chatty we are. They're like, hey, do an impression, funny man. So you doing Ed Sullivan kind of answers it. But they asked for your favorite impression. So oh, I see. what would your favorite be? Um. I too. Here, I, Mike Hunt. Mike Hunt came back. He said, "Do a David Hasselhoff impression." There it is. Flap I, your fins, Seal. I just do. Uh, I do drunk David Hasselhoff. I don't do David Hasselhoff. He didn't specify, so give him drunk David Hasselhoff. At least you're answering half his dream. You're I, giving him what he wants. You're like the monkey's paw. He wanted that. You're gonna give it to him, but it ain't exactly the David Hasselhoff he wants. The way he wanted. No, I do Hasselhoff from that video where he's eating the burger shirtless, laying on the on the ground when he's all drunk. That's the Hasselhoff. Oh, I'm well aware of your classic Hasselhoff. I've been sitting next to you for every one of these fucking things. But he wants a taste. Give him a taste of uh, Drunkelhoff, if you oh, want. This, this is a mess. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Oh, no. This, this is a mess. <laughs> Kit, get me out of here. <laughs> let it never be said i'm sorry michael you vomited on yourself <laughs> let it never be said <laughs> that this show doesn't deliver <clears throat> exactly what you asked for <laughs> right um have you been following this operation varsity blues thing at all with the rich people who are paying people off to get their kids into colleges i think you were on tour when it all kind of broke i've been talking about a, a lot on the ralph report and it's 
it's my favorite FBI sting operation of all time. If there is, I tell you, it made me, this whole story made me go hug my kid and thank her for not going to college. I was like, oh, I never even had to think about this sort of stuff. I'm not even anywhere close to some college cheating scandal or grades thing because there was no like, we got to get her in, Kevin, by any means necessary or something like that. Number one, she was a smart kid anyway, but right. so smart that she was like, fucking done with school like after high school and i was like that's dad smart right there See? don't you become no fucking sucker man that, that's how they get you that's how they laugh Piece of paper. College. <laughs> you want to educate yourself i'll take you to the streets the streets yeah. of highlands new jersey i grew up in the suburbs <laughs> you screw up by the mean mini malls of new jersey <laughs> i had to be home by five o'clock when the whistle blew Street I was home, yo. <laughs> Exit 117. In the house. <laughs> Jersey Shore. Well, the reason I bring it up is because Felicity Huffman, of course, wife of William H. Macy and daughter of two girls, she was, uh, she famously went to prison for a couple of weeks anyway for getting involved in this racket where she was paying someone to take her child's SAT scores. He was right. the doctor, but he was paid off to correct them and resubmit them because she was concerned that her kid would not be smart enough to get into a college of her choice. So the funny part is, Sophia. I wish, made, I, had, wish I had parents who gave a shit that much, man. Like my parents were like you whatsoever. Yeah. That's them yeah, saying they, basically there's no you have no shot of legitimately earning your way into college. So we're going to have to bail you out with shameless money. Or Ralph, and bear with me on this, follow me for a minute. It's a all way right. for a parent to say, I love you. Here's all the help you can get. <laughs> that is that's not even helicopter parenting. That is snowplow parenting. Yes. Um we uh we helicoptered in this house, but we never snow plowed and stuff and i was always delighted when my kid didn't go to school and she was like i'm gonna go out there and fucking work for it and shit um you know i put her in a movie but i put her in a movie regardless and shit yeah. uh, the previously aforementioned yoga was as well as sound bobby boo but um she was less about like i'm gonna go to school and figure this out and more like i figured it out i need to go out and audition and she felt she was running late that that reminded me of me because i remember when i saw slacker I was 21 and I was like, oh, fuck. It's like now, now I've decided to be a filmmaker. I'm so old. Like I could have been in college doing this shit. So that's why one of the reasons I didn't apply to like a four-year film school, because I would have been like 25, 26 when I got out. And that seemed ancient to me. So instantly I was like, Vancouver Film School, man, I got a quick program, eight months in and out and I'll know how to make a movie. Fuck. That's what I'm going to do and stuff. Because I felt like I was running late and I've met other people in life who have like tried things and succeeded at things and stuff like that, that they wanted to do. And it seems to be a common consensus where people are like, no, it's already happening. And I'm missing the fucking train and shit like that. That feeling of like, I'm late when, even though you're not necessarily um, seems to be at the root of a lot of ambition, at least to people in this business that I've seen. Uh, I have a funny impression to save this because I'm just being serious now. <laughs> no, fascinating stuff. But I, I thought it was interesting that, Sophia, since her mother's incarceration, went back and retook the SATs and did so well that she was accepted into Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, all on her own. 
So CMU, I've been there. I've been to that campus, man. My ex-girlfriend, Kim Lockerman, went there. That's where I watched Citizen Kane for the first time and shit. Oh. First time I went to a college, like, breakfast bar, like, what, the cafeteria and shit? They right. had breakfast. Okay. They, have, they have breakfast all day long. They had a cereal bar. You could have as much Cap'n Crunch as you wanted. I was like, I missed out on going to college. I didn't tell me this was part of it and shit like that. Like, I was going up there to see my girlfriend at the time, but I was like, you go to classes. I'm going to be in the calf. And I would eat the fuck out of that food, man. Mm. College kids got it so good with the food. But back to you. Felicity <laughs> Huffman now has to look her kid in the face and realize that she never thought she had a chance to get into college. Then the kid did it anyway. So what was all of that stuff she put her family through? What was that all for? And I think that's the great prison that she oh, had I mean, to live in her life. Um. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, I'm sure her daughter being what, 17, because she's in high school and this was pre college thing. Yeah. You know, in, embarrassed because she's involved in a nationwide scandal because of a decision her parents made and stuff like that. Uh, but they seem like a, like a tight family. I'm sure she's like forgiven her mom and been like, you tried, but like, trust me, man, in the world of, you know, you owe me, like, I think right now her pulling those grades and shit is a real nice kind of like, you know, I'm legit. I didn't need that help and stuff. She wins every argument at any Thanksgiving with the family from now until time immemorial. Well, here's the thing that kills me is she wants to be an actress. It's like your mom's Felicity Huffman, your dad's William H. Macy. You could have done that without taking the SATs. You could have just been in season eight of shameless or whatever project they're working on i mean there's there's ways that you can get into the business you don't have to go to carnegie mellon Fucking, yeah but ralph you gotta understand how unsavory it is to practice nepotism in this business felicity huffman and bill macy you know serious actor and actress and stuff they can't be i would never cast my own kin i know in, in something that's just like tacky and wrong and you're a better man for it, may I say. Um, yeah, it's true, man. They could like, you know, you're like, you're already kind of in, you know, some people and sometimes they direct like, you know, Felicity Huffman has directed. Uh, I think Bill Macy must have directed some episodes of Shameless by I'm now. Sure. I, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, yeah, you're right. There could have been some access there and stuff. I hope shit's cool with them, man, because that would suck to like. You know they weren't like her and Felicity Huffman wasn't twisting a mustache, going like yeah, yeah, yeah. These were just people trying to what they feel do the is the best for their kid and stuff. And yeah, but it's Shakespearean sense, how there's a sense of entitlement, that pervasive sense of yeah, of the the entitlement that the rich and famous had that I think rubs a lot of people the wrong way because they don't feel that the rules apply to them and they can take these little greasy side streets and it, nobody really cares well it turns out people do care i remember when uh harley wanted to be in uh quentin's movie and she auditioned and you know the word was like he loved her but he doesn't have anything for her and stuff and you know the kid was all because ah! she was like working on that part for like months she wrote a monologue and stuff like that and uh i remember you know i was bummed out for her but i was like that's you know that's the business man we don't always get what we want and shit like yeah. that and uh one day jennifer came into my office and sat down and she's like you know quentin and i was like oh no i said no no way i said look number one i don't even know i'm not good and stuff where i can call up and ask a favor i said number two 
that is no lesson to pass on to our fucking kid. Like I would, nobody's ever called me to be like, Hey, my kid wants to be in your movie. And she's like, yeah, but you don't make Quentin Tarantino movies. I was like, well, that's fair point. And I never will. I was like, but I can't do that. I was like, that's a slippery slope. I said, but more than that, more than the embarrassment of calling him up and asking for a favor, let's say I did that and let's say it worked. And then let's say she found out. Then you got that situation right there. Yeah. The kids like you piece of shit. You didn't believe in me and stuff like that. Like I remember when my kid was like, I want to be in once upon a time in Hollywood. I was like, I even said to her, I was like, kiddo, I want to be in that movie. You got to be more realistic like that. You're not going to get in that movie. I, I you know, I, I'm normally the guy that's like, you could do anything you want. But I was like, look, even I have a sense of reality and there's no way that you're going to get into that flick. And I wasn't going to do anything to like help her. She did all her own work and shit and got in there and stuff. But I was like saying to Jen, if we helped and she found out that would be it, we'd be done forever. You stripped her of her ability. So you might have a point, Ralph, like maybe her kid does feel like, why did we go through all that when I could have just fucking taken the SAT? Like, didn't you think I was good enough or something like that? Maybe she took the PSAT and took a shit though, you know? So we don't know. <laughs> and maybe, maybe college wasn't meant for her. I mean, my God, you just, the, the things that people refuse. Carnegie Mellon is an acting school though. She's going to get a good education as a, as an actor or actress, if that's what she's going there for. Unless she's and, Ralph, I don't know if you know this, but hell of a breakfast bar. I've heard that. <laughs> Cereal for days there at CMU. If you've ever wanted to see the Carnegie Mellon campus, um, watch Creep Show. The the doctor with the crate when, you know, Hal Holbrook and the other guy, just tell yeah. him to call you Billy. Right, that, right, right. That's at Carnegie Mellon. It's all over the campus. They shot that movie because it was George Romero. George Romero, of course, was Pittsburgh-based. That's where he did Night of the Living Dead as well as Dawn of the Dead, which was shot at the Monroeville Mall, which is the same mall featured in Zach and Mary Make a Porno. Ralph, I can make anything about me. Monroeville <laughs> Zombies. I remember that team well. Thank yeah. you. Uh, here's my favorite story of the week by far. You know, a lot of uh, people like us are working from home now because of this quarantine, including a lot of local TV news people. And, there and by the way, might I just add, I'm liking it. So, you know, even this version of Babylon is pretty damn awesome. Like, you know, we don't hear the claps and the laughs, but there's feedback on the right side. I see what's on people's minds and stuff like that. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, you'll be hard pressed to get me back in that improv and not because I'm a germaphobe, but more because I'm like, why? This is easier. I can wear my fucking bathrobe. I'm smoking weed during the show. That yeah. never happens ever. Yeah. Ralph gets to drink that whole show. Me, I got to maintain the THC in my body for 90 fucking minutes or more. And this is he just feeds. Because when my drink is empty, there's no waiter or waitress to come by to give me another one. Now you sound like a, a Felicity Huffman for your first <laughs> world problem. Where's Jeeves? Where's my servant to fill my glass? I'm supposed to be making jokes for the plebes. <laughs> now I have to make another drink. Just talk amongst the people. While I'm going to go make another drink. I'll be back. Uh, hey, kids, are you enjoying this? Uh, I know you are. Uh, I'm watching your feedback, and you guys are adorable. Yes, I'm in a bathrobe. This ain't a jacket. And it's a, a, a Star Wars uh, knockoff of a Masters of the Universe uh, uh, T-shirt that I'm wearing that I got from uh, from the uh, Tea Republic. I don't know. Where do I get my tees from? Anyway, uh, long story short, if you're enjoying this, uh, you, of course, are members of the Ralph Report. Army members, if you will. 
uh, if you're looking uh, to to uh, uh, another spend more money on a fucking show, uh, that KevinSmithClub.com is the place for you. But yeah. never at the expense of uh, the Garmy. Never leave the Garmy. That, I'll tell you, I'm a member of that Kevin Smith Club. Not worth leaving the Garmy for. Uh, please don't put that in ads. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to sell our, our our enterprise, obviously. But yeah, we designed it this way. Like when we opened up that Kevin Smith Club, which Jordan had been working on for a while, right? Like the week, the day two before, I called up Ralph and I was like, "We're doing this thing," but I feel like you should have the Babylon Library. That way, like nobody fucking jumps from you to me and stuff like that. Have you opened up the Babylon Archives yet? Not yet, because again, it was very kind of you to make me that offer to, to take ownership of the back catalog of Hollywood Babylon episodes. But you did literally do it about a day before you announced your thing. So we're 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 now trying to get it, um, figure out how it's going to live and how people can get access to it. So we are we're knee deep, along with the help of uh, as you mentioned before from NetHeads, Will Wilkins is helping us out with it, and we're going to have a plan of action soon. And then I'll announce to all the uh, Hollywood Babylon fans how they can listen to it. Hey, uh, fucking first world Dean Martin, man. Now that you filled your glass, you don't have a fucking waitress or a waiter to help you. Are you ready to go back to fucking comedy? You got some funny I, impressions I, or what? I, I am. I am ready. Thank you so much. How is people <laughs> in my room? Like I said, a lot of people working like we are from home, including TV anchors. Mm -hmm. This week, a TV anchor... His name, uh, Alfonso Merlos, he was hosting Estado de Alarma, which is a, uh, a live channel, YouTube channel for a Spanish news station talking about, of course, the pandemic and what's been going on. But he's hosting from his home. And in the background, unbeknownst to him, was his nude girlfriend who took a, uh, a walk through the bedroom in the background while he was on the air. It's not the best part of the story because a couple people have been caught with their pants down uh, during all this. Turns out the girl wasn't his longtime girlfriend. It was someone else that he was seeing. And the girlfriend found out from the video of him with the girl in the background. So he got busted for cheating on his girlfriend uh, during the this, pandemic. This sounds like the plot, Ralph, of a telenovela. You um, could been, yes. <laughs> a lot of twists and turns. Uh, wow. You have done this to me. I find out on television that you're cheating on me. Yes. The, what I get out of that story, <clears throat> you're a news reporter and you're on the road. Make sure you do your live feed from a toilet because there ain't no room behind a toilet. Nobody ever walks behind a toilet. Your back's against the wall. You can see anybody coming into the room and shit like that. So. Do your work, do your business in the toilet. That's what my dad told me, and I've been doing it since I was a little boy. Also, why are you in the bathroom for so long, Kevin? Why are you in there? I'm doing a live feed with Telemundo, Dad. Fuck off. There was another woman who was in her bathroom at home showing how to cut your own bangs because no one could get haircuts, and she was in the bathroom, and they were shooting her, and in the mirror, her husband was taking a shower on the other side of the bathroom, but the reflection in the mirror caught him buck naked uh, taking a shower. So there's no there's no safe place, really. <coughs> there is in this house, man. Well, I you shower with my clothes on. I, I bet, you know, I take the dog out for a walk all the time. Shecky. Shecky, like Rich uh, Reggie, is uh, adoption low to the ground. So, you know, their carriage. Not just their paws getting grimy, but their undercarriage can get grimy as well. So yeah. it was decided in this quarantine era 
that uh, I should, if I'm going to take Shecky for a walk, that I should also uh, bathe her when she gets home because she gets up in everybody's bed and she runs through the house. And if it's out there on the ground, she's tracking around. Seemed like, you know, fair enough. Um, being cautious, overly cautious. But I have never bathed with Shecky. We have a very tight relationship and I've never put her in that awkward position of like, this is my dick. You know, as far as she knows, I don't have one of those. Uh, you know, we just don't have that relationship. I'm the man. And even though I'm the man, she she doesn't know if I have a dick or not. Mm. So when I go into the shower after the walk, I go (laughs) to bathe. First I shower Shecky and then I put a towel out and I put her out on the towel and then I get in and finish the shower, my own shower. But when I take her in, I wear my clothes so that I don't make her uncomfortable. So I wear my t-shirt and my shorts in the shower so that she could never be on like some therapist couch going like, you know, fucking I lost respect for him when I saw how little his dick was or something like that and shit. So I tend, I do shower with my clothes on for a little bit, but for a good reason. It's not crazy. No, no. <laughs> Cause you're concerned what your dog might think. That's your reason. I, I value that dog's opinion, man. Like she looks up to me. She seems to like me quite a bit and I like her taste. I'm a Kevin Smith fan. So me and her have a lot in common right there. Um, but yeah, I, I give her careful consideration. My wife is always like, I wish you would just say such nice things to me. I wish you would pet me as much as you pet Shecky. And I'm like, don't you get it? Like you're going to be here forever, man. Shecky, she's here for like a minute. Like we've already gone through three dogs. They're gone. They now live on the shelf to my fucking left, man, like in boxes, all their ashes and shit. And Shecky's already 15 and shit. So we got to prioritize Shecky's feelings. And, you know, she's made it this long in life without ever having to be like, the man's got a dick. What the fuck? So I'm not going to vex her with that at this late stage in the game. That'd be like showing my dick to my grandmother when she was 72. It's just not right. No, no, not at all, really. It would be a very different set of circumstances. (laughs) Another one being a person and all who's capable of much more cognitive thought. Maybe during the show isn't the best idea. No, don't you take that away from me, you drunk son of a bitch. Now I'm living your life. I'm in your world now. Now I know what it's like to imbibe during the show, and it's a lot better. Oh, boy, I am pulling no punches now. You put me on a stage in front of a live studio audience, and I'm getting that energy, and they're like, keep smoking, you fuck. Oh, my God. I'm going to be hired in a kite, and I'm just going to break into the middle of the show and be like, Ralph, Finger is such a weird word, right? Because it's a thing that we have, like 10 of them, and it's a thing you could do. But, like, you don't use that word. You say third base, Ralph, not finger, right? How many shows would you make it before you're like, I fucking quit. You just threw your papers in the air and walked away. During that bit, that's when I that's when I walk. <laughs> finger chunk is what I, I hit the <laughs> All right, let's let's get serious for a minute because this is yeah. serious. Sopranos star Joey Pantoliano, Joey Pants, was in. I heard this. Serious, I heard this. This is serious accident this week. Yeah, he he got hit by a car. And the thing was, he didn't get hit by the car because the car was driving erratically. The car was T-boned in an intersection and got thrown so far that that car was the thing that hit him on the sidewalk when he was walking. He hit a car that was like uh, in the middle of an accident, almost at the tail end of an accident. The like it wasn't even. Bones, and then the car flew and hit him on the sidewalk when he was walking with his family. He wasn't even in a car. 
And you know, not for nothing, but Joey Pants is not a young man anymore, right? If I'm I'm going to be fifty this year, how old is Joey Pants? Because he's been acting since I was a kid. Yeah, he's he's well into his sixties for sure. He was thrown into um, a fence and got a severe head injury as well as some tr- chest trauma as well. But he's already home on the men. He put pictures of his uh, his stitches up on his social media, and by all accounts, he's doing very well. But got very lucky. He is an absolute American treasure uh, for all the stuff we've seen him in and stuff. But I, I actually got to work with him for a day on uh, Daredevil, Ben's Daredevil movie. Oh, I didn't Mark know. Steven Johnson. Yeah, I'm I, I'm in a scene with uh, Joey Pants where I show him the Billy Club and how it works and stuff like that. Now I remember, yeah. <clears throat> so it was very, very cool. And uh, as somebody who loved him in a bunch of stuff, I was geeking out with him throughout the whole day. He is one, one of the best character actors I know that the term that gets thrown around quite a bit, but he's one of those people who makes every movie he's in better, no matter how much or little he is doing. He can do one scene or he could be a co-star and it's just transformative. I, he's he's a one of a kind talent. I love him in everything. The matrix is uh, telling me this is steak. Remember that scene? Oh yes. Right. Um, I thought you were stoned for a minute and you were just going off on something. <laughs> It's like the Matrix is telling me this is steak. <laughs> Ralph's like, I got to finish this show. <laughs> Midnight Run alone for that performance of Midnight Run just uh, kills. He's me. the guy that says the title. Yeah, right. it's a Midnight Run for Christ's sakes. Without him, they got no title. All right. Um, remember, he's the one. Remember, he's in uh, in the Sopranos. He's the mob guy who likes to have sex with the fucking gun. Mm-hmm. And he likes to like to bottom from the top, like it's implied that he he takes it from Janice, yes. Tony's sister, uh, Ralph Cifaretto. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I just went fucking all Chris Farland. Like, remember that? That was awesome. I have no follow up. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Russo brothers are back <clears throat> in the business of putting heroes up on the screen, but they're mm. not. Well, not Marvel heroes, but they are Disney heroes. They're doing uh, the Hercules live-action film based on the animated film from the Disney vaults. They will be producing, although they will not be writing or directing, but they will be guiding the uh, the hand of both of those other talents. And um, what do you think? Hercules, the live-action movie. I mean, Disney is leaving no stern un- stone unturned when it comes to taking their animated catalog and turning them into live-action films. I don't know if there's an audience for this one or not. What's it? What makes it the cartoon Hercules and not just, you know, Hercules? The, the music, I assume. So they are going to keep the music? I'm, I'm sure they will. They've done it in all the other animated musicals that they've turned into live action. I remember they had the uh, Vanities or the, the girls on the, the Grecian urn, like right. the Greek chorus. Yeah. Um, but do you remember a single song from Hercules? Was there a track? I don't remember. And I like Hercules, but I've, 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 I remember when I saw it, I enjoyed the fuck out of it and liked it. I've not seen it since. So I, I don't, I, when this, when I heard this, I was like, really? Are you sure they're remaking the cartoon version? Because you could just do a Hercules. Like there was nothing that I remember all that specific about that particular version. But this is how they do. They just go back into your childhood. They're like, what'd they like? Do it. What'd they like? Do it. Every time I think I liked something from the animated Hercules musical, it turns out to actually be from the Emperor's New Groove. I keep flashing on moments where I'm like, oh, that was a good song. Oh, no, that was that was the other one. That was the other one. So I don't remember anything from Hercules, and I saw it. I do that all the time, but that's just because of the weed. I'm always like, 
Yeah. That's got to be the cars. Nope. That was from the Emperor's New Groove. Right. That's got to be fucking some Scandinavian death metal. Nope. Oh. That's from the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Hey, it's time for Geek News. Speaking of Disney, Disney is uh, making character face masks now for the COVID-19 generation. If you want to go out and are work, they are they giving the proceeds to charity? They are donating one million dollars of the proceeds to a charity called MedShare, which is an Atlanta-based nonprofit that delivers medical supplies and equipment to places around the world. So one million dollars of whatever they make will be sent to that charity. And they're also donating a million of the actual masks themselves to the charity as well. So they're doing it for the right reasons, but good on them. Good on Disney. Um, I, I was having my cousin make masks. She made this really great mask set of masks for us. And I was like, Oh my God. And they're made out of like superhero shirts and shit like that. Um, so I was like, can you make like 50 of those, man? We'll make them and fucking sell them at the store. And then I was like, we can't sell them at the store. I don't want to profit off this. So I figured like when the store opens, when everybody comes in, like, here, I have a fucking mask. We'll do them as giveaways. And out here, if we do Hollywood Babylon, we could do them as giveaways and stuff like that. If we're allowed to go, there's <coughs> four stages. We're in stage one. Stage two is restaurants. Stage three is, it was like gyms and shit. Stage four is us. Performing, is yeah. performing artists. So it's going to be a while before they let us get back to doing what we do in a room. But as we've discovered, fuck the room, man. We got Crowdcast. We got this. Uh, all the characters are going to be available. Uh, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, Disney, you name it, you'll be able to put a Disney mask on your face. It's only uh, 20 bucks for four. And they're, sent to, they're set to ship in June, which made my heart cry when I read that because everyone's still believing that in June we're going to need these masks. But they're probably true. So. Legion M, the good folks who uh, uh, were involved with us on Jane Silent Bob Reboot, wonderful organization, fan-run organization, fan-owned organization. They are uh, doing the Jane Silent Bob Buddy Christ masks. I believe they're giving all their profits to charity as well or something like that. So, yeah, this is... You should do a series a, of Kevin Smith film masks. You should have a dogma mask and a tusk mask and, uh, and a yoga hosers mask. Um, how soon before you see the mask with a dick, like in a fake mouth or the pussy mask or something like that with decals like that before people are like, Hey man, you can't wear that mask in there. You know, that mask is obscene. You're like, this mask is saving my life, man. You're like, too and that's, you see what it is, man. Back off six feet. I can't wait to get back to a world that trivial. If we ever do. Yeah. I'm with you, buddy. That's it for today's show. Topic-wise, we're all done. That's it. The tank is empty. Well, we went like an hour and 15 and shit. Yeah, we did all right. I mean, pretty damn sweet for a Sunday night and stuff. A lot of people back east are like, fuck it. It's time to go to bed anyway, man. Um, what is it? I said, yeah. They're like, yeah, enough with you two. They're reading their watch saying, I want to go to bed. Show's falling apart where I'm like, repeat yourself. What? I can't. <laughs> Talking to my um, oh my God, man! Uh, ladies and gentlemen of uh, the internet, of uh, the crowdcast, have you had a good time this evening? I'll wait for them to type. Uh, 
Uh, boy, oh boy, man, uh, we uh, had a great time doing this. Uh, but uh, let's be honest, folks. There's literally no show, no Hollywood Babylon ever, without the man in this box over there. Uh, here's the story of a man named Garmin. Ralph! Motherfucking Garmin! Give it up for him, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear it from my good pal and babble brother, Mr. Kevin Smith. And that is Hollywood Babylon for this week. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Ralph Garman. Babble the fuck off. Good night, Hollywood and the rest of the world. Wash your hands. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir. Only at Smodcast.com.